This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This episode of For Real is brought to you by Book Riot's newsletters. Did you know that Book Riot has over 25 newsletters covering every genre, as well as book news and deals? Sign up for book deals to get notified about the best book sales of the day, handpicked by our editorial staff. There's Today in Books, summing up the most interesting literary headlines every day, The Riot Rundown, our roundup of our most exciting new content, or our new books newsletter that compiles a list of the week's best new releases and comes to you every Tuesday, which, if you didn't know, is new release day in publishing. We also have newsletters for horror fans, romance readers, YA enthusiasts, nonfiction fans, mystery thriller aficionados, and more. Just go to bookriot.com newsletters to sign up for whichever ones are most interesting to you. Welcome to For Real, a bi-weekly nonfiction books podcast that puts the spotlight on books that tell it like it is. Or try to. We'll cover new releases, backlist finds, and more. For Real is a Book Riot podcast and is hosted by me, Alice Burton, and fellow rioter Kim Eukera. We're recording on Thursday, March 31st. Hello, Kim. Hello, Alice. How are you today? I'm a sleepy panda, but <laughs> it's fine. Uh, we're here. We're going to talk about books. We are. It's great. How are you? It is great. You know, I I also am sleepy. <laughs> Imagine that. <laughs> I don't really have a good reason other than just like, you know, the weather and just just adjusting to seasons. I don't know. Everything's Yeah. It's the spirit know? of the season. It's just yeah. it's like everything's gray outside. It's mm-hmm. just sleepy. <laughs> Yeah, we had some sunny days and then we had some snow and there was like a, there was a snowstorm this week. Oh, with no. like like a sleeting snowstorm so like the roads are all icy and there's like it's just it's very gray and you're like oh all right well here we are perhaps a good time to be reading do you have any follow-up uh for us this week well so i was actually i was all getting ready to be like i haven't read anything i'm not reading at all and then i realized i had finished two books since we last recorded which is not that long ago But I think what's happening is I'm still in that mode of, like, reading a lot at one time, but then, like, not reading at all for many days in a row. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, like, I haven't – I don't know. Like, somehow reading is not part of, like, a normal everyday routine for me yet. It's, like, in big, long chunks or not at all. So that's why it feels like I'm not reading even though I did actually finish a book. The book I did finish was The Christie Affair by Nina de Gremont, which is fiction, about the 10 days that Agatha Christie went missing. This is That's a true thing that happened. She disappeared for 10 days shortly before she ended up getting divorced from her husband. And when they finally found her just like hanging out in like rural England, she says that she has no idea and has no memory of what happened. So this book is a fictionalized version of what might have happened to her during that time, which I found very fascinating. 
And there's like some like con artist stuff in there, which obviously I'm very into right now. <laughs> so it was really good. And then I finished listening to the audiobook of The Lazy Genius Way by Kendra Adachi, which I talked about on the last episode too, which also is really good. And it's been giving me a lot of things to think about. So I will say that the book at the end talks a little bit more about her faith than I was expecting. And that's not normally like something that resonates particularly with me. So it's been a little bit of like your mileage may vary for the last couple of sections. But overall, like it's been very interesting. And I stand by the recommendation of it as like a very gentle and of the moment kind of uh, self-help book, if that's something that you're looking for. So I recommend both of those. They were both interesting. Well, that's excellent. Did you watch the Doctor Who episode where they run into Agatha Christie and there's like giant wasps in it? No, I've only watched like two episodes of Doctor Who in my whole life. Ooh. Well, I don't remember the plot itself being great, but <laughs> obviously the whole giant wasp thing really stuck out uh, paired yeah. with Agatha Christie. Well, I believe sure. it is season four. Yes, it's season four because it's got <laughs> Catherine Tate in it. But yeah, that one's, I don't know, it's just memorable. I mean, giant wasps are are memorable. (laughs) I am still reading Abraham Lincoln books, (laughs) but still primarily on audio. I was just in New York with my wife. We went to the Strand, which was not crowded for the first time in my entire, like, lifetime of being there, which is so – it was an actually pleasant experience for once because the Strand is normally extremely crowded with tiny Mm -hmm. little aisles but uh it was me and a bunch of older white men in the americana abraham lincoln (laughs) aisle and i grabbed i think i initially got six and then i thought no i can go to the library and i put two back so i got four lincoln books but i'm just trying to figure out who he was you know just Mm -hmm. trying to wrap my head so the one i just finished was about john brown and lincoln and it's called the zealot and the emancipator by hw brands and it's kind of a not it's not a dual biography it's more like here's what john brown did about abolition like to try to bring it about and here's what lincoln did i don't feel like it's extremely kind to lincoln hw <laughs> brands might feel differently but he's not here so yeah, I just came off it being like, wow, if this is the only thing I had read about him. I would not think he was that great. Unlike Team of Rivals, where I was like, is he a saint? So <laughs> anyway, I'm just, I'm just, you know, continuing my my Lincoln journey and having a great time. That's an interesting. Like we think of nonfiction as like the facts, but clearly, like the way the facts are presented can give you like wildly different impressions of people and like what the biographer or the writer brings to some of that can really influence sort of what we take away, which is interesting. Oh, absolutely. There's so much stuff where it's like, he said some facts and I was like, okay, I know because of the very long team of rivals that these other things were also going on at this time, Mm -hmm. or this is why these are the factors that led to this decision of his, but those are not covered at all. Uh, Mm -hmm. So yeah, Hmm. it's interesting. Interesting. All right. uh, So uh, this episode is also sponsored by Book Riot's other podcasts. Uh, If you like this show, which I assume you do if you're listening, then you are bound to love many of Book Riot's other podcasts. You can subscribe to Red or Dead for updates on the world of mysteries and thrillers. You can download SSF Yeah for happenings and recommendations in sci-fi and fantasy. Don't miss When in Romance for updates on all things kissing books or Hey YA for excellent conversations about young adult lit. We have a show for everyone. Just go to bookriot.com slash listen for a full list of all our podcasts, or simply type Book Riot in the search bar of your podcatcher of choice. It will bring up the full selection of podcasts to look at. Your TBR and the podcast-shaped hole in your heart will be full. Happy listening. 
Uh, so this week we decided, partially because we're like recording pretty soon after our last episode, and partially because there are so many new books coming out in early April, that we were going to skip nonfiction in the news and jump straight into new nonfiction, which is books that are out soon that we are excited about and would like to to share with you. So um, my first pick is one that Alice also almost picked, so maybe we can both uh, talk a little bit about it. Uh, and it's called Sisters of Makoma, The Pioneering Woman Who Brought Hope and Healing to India by Jyoti Tatum, and it comes out April 12th from Viking. And so this is, uh, this book is really fascinating so far. It is the story of uh, six nuns from Kentucky who journeyed to India and built a, a hospital there and then began to train Indian nurses to work at this hospital. Uh, and the hospital was in the poorest state in India at the time. And so it is just the story of how this place came to be and the women who worked there. One of the things that's cool about it is that the author has a personal connection to it. Uh, her mother was part of the group of Indian Indian women who were trained at this um, hospital. So she, um, her mother was born in 1946 at a time when obviously like many women, particularly like in places around the world, were just not allowed to like leave their homes or really adventure anywhere. And so she decided that at, at 15 years old, she left her home and decided to travel to Bihar, which is the province where this hospital was, so that she could be um, trained there. The other thing that was happening in India and Pakistan at this time was it was the time of partition. So it was a time when India and Pakistan were being separated. And so there was a lot of violence and unrest and challenging situations in particularly that region because people were families and communities and all sorts of things were being separated by this geopolitical situation. And so this hospital is in this place that is violent and difficult, but uh, they're trying to make a difference. And so um, the author decided she wanted to like understand Nazareth Hospital, uh, which was established in 1947 by these nuns from Kentucky. And these nuns, uh, they didn't speak the language. They were didn't expect to return to their families, but they decided to go to the town of Macoma and build this hospital to try and help the people of India. And so they trained them as nursing students, um, offering this opportunity for women who otherwise probably wouldn't have it. So uh, the book is a story of this hospital. It is a story of these women, both the Kentucky nuns who started the hospital and the Indian women who were trained there and learned there and what they were able to then take out into other communities. It's just really fascinating. There are so many different pieces of it, um, so many different stories that are tied into this place and the people who made their homes there. And so just I never heard anything about this. And it is just really interesting. And I think the author's personal connection to it really brings an interesting extra level to all of it, too. So uh, I am very excited about it. Sisters of Makoma, The Pioneering Women Who Brought Hope and Healing to India by Jyoti Tatum. Yeah, I'm really glad that if, you know, one of us was able to talk about it, that it was you, because I feel like you do a really good job of summing up larger things like this. Thank you. It's just like, can you imagine going on like, no. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, just just the idea that, like, these nuns from Kentucky were like, we're going to, in 1946, we're going to go to India, and we're going to build a hospital there. Like, what? That is yeah. so cool. That's mm-hmm. so cool. Amazing. I have a book that I just thought is really fascinating, and it's something I knew nothing about. It is called Slaves for Peanuts, A Story of Conquest, Liberation, and a Crop that Changed History by Jory Lewis. Lewis is a an American journalist based in Dakar, Senegal, and is here writing about slavery in West Africa, which, as like an American, 
it was obviously it's not the first thing that I thought about um, because we have so centered the idea of slavery in America. So mm-hmm. to hear about it based in West Africa and the story from there, especially as related to peanut products, this is just something I had no idea about. So this is talking about how uh, there was this demand for peanut oil in Europe in the 19th century. Like it's very focused on the 19th century. And the reason that they wanted it is particularly in in Europe was that there was a soap making industry (laughs) and they needed peanut oil for the soap. So because of this, these colonial officials just ignored like kidnapping and slave trading, even though, because this is particular, like mostly like France, France had abolished slavery in 1848. But they were like, we're just not going to pay attention because we need this peanut oil. And what Lewis does is she found these letters from this Protestant missionary named Walter Taylor, who is from Sierra Leone, and he founded a shelter for runaway slaves in Senegal. And he had wrote, he wrote these letters talking about like the struggles that of like West Africans who were working with like local chiefs, but also European officials and like trying to preserve their cultural traditions. And also just, you know, again, this like extremely illegal and harmful practice that was going on all for this peanut oil. So Lewis won a grant for creative nonfiction to tell this story. And it's just it's really interesting. So again, that is Slaves for Peanuts, a story of conquest, liberation, and a crop that changed history by Jory Lewis. Wait, I knew nothing about so many of those different things. And I know that this is like not a particularly insightful thing to say, but like given, I don't know, it's just interesting, like thinking more about supply chains and like the way that different things are connected to each other, which like I, I knew about, obviously, but I hadn't really thought about as much until we've had these sort of like global supply chain pandemic issue kind of things that we're like starting to see more of it and see mm-hmm. where those like connections are. And so this one that there's this connection between slavery in Africa because of peanut oil and soap in France, I would have never tied those things together. It's like that thing where people are talking about the extremely harmful mining practices happening for cell phones. Yeah. And we just tend to not think about it Mm because you're like, oh, no, it's like a cell phone and you have it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So that's a really good one. I'm glad you talked about that. So my next pick is another one I'm real jazzed about. Uh, It is called Life on the Rocks, Building a Future for Coral Reefs by Julie Burwald. Uh, It's out April 5th from Riverhead Books. And this is a story about the fight to save coral reefs and why it is important that we should do that. It's a great nature book, but it is also a great piece of journalism. And it is a great like memoir in journalism kind of thing. So it's a lot of stuff that I really like. So the book starts out talking about why coral reefs are so important. And so there's this amazing chapter about the connections between coral and the algae that they come together and how they build reefs and um, how these like diverse and connected microcosms actually exist in the ocean and then how they are being threatened by climate change primarily. So Julie Burwald writes about how she um, fell in love with coral reefs when she was a student and did some research around coral reefs as a student and a young adult um, in college and whatnot. And then sort of becomes disconnected from them because of her life and her job and everything. And then rediscovers her interest in coral reefs during a family vacation when they um, went to this island that they were expecting to see beautiful coral reefs. And then she goes to dive and they're just like covered in like sludge and not doing very well. And so that gets her thinking more about what is happening to coral reefs? Why are they not as healthy as they used to be? And so then she starts to dig into all these different areas of coral reefs. So there's a chapter about this conference of people who 
who are trying to think of radical ideas to save coral reefs. And so uh, one of the guys there is pitching like some kind of system that would like spray water in the air over the Great Barrier Reef so that they could deflect sunlight and keep the ocean from heating. And just these people with these wild ideas about how to save coral. And so um, the book is about like the nature part of coral reefs, like how the different species interact with each other. It's about people who care deeply about coral reefs. It's about kind of science and ideas and how we try and pursue them. Um, And there's also a a personal story that she weaves in about her daughter and some um, health and uh, development issues that she's discovering with her daughter that I haven't I'm not super far into it, so I don't really know how that's all going to evolve, but it's it's very interesting the way that she's tying those things together. So just really, really interesting. Her writing is really fun. The way that she describes uh, coral and algae and the way that they interact is just very engaging. It's really, it's really interesting, and I had not ever spent time thinking about coral reefs, and now I'm very invested in what is going on there. So Life on the Rocks, Building a Future for Coral Reefs by Julie Burwald. Yeah, my family was not really like a like a beach and ocean vacation family, but mm-hmm. my wife's family was. So because of that, I found out about how now you have to buy this like special sunscreen if you're going to interact with a uh, coral because they're saying that that's been a factor, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe a large factor in coral reefs dying is because people have this like whatever substance on them and then it transfers onto there. Mm-hmm. And there's just so many things that are impacting coral. <laughs> it's just yeah. so stressful. But it's so nice that people are working on it. You know, it's yes. that thing where it's like, people yep. are like, this is my passion in life. I will mm-hmm. save the coral. So thank you to all of you who are working on that. My next pick, I think I might have talked about in like a preview episode that we did for 2022. So here we are. It is Murder on the Mountain, Crime, Passion, and Punishment in Gilded Age, New Jersey by Peter J. Wash and Patricia L. Shaw. I would maybe disagree that this is Gilded Age. <laughs> I think they might they might be getting on the whole, oh, there's the Gilded Age now. People are interested in that mm. bandwagon. But because it's, it's mainly... Uh, oh, actually, you know what? I was thinking about when the crime takes, like when her, okay, let's just talk about this. Okay, hold on. <laughs> Margaret Clem and John Meyerhofer, they're these Bavarian immigrants. They come to New Jersey in the 1850s. They get married. They start a small farm in West Orange, New Jersey. Uh, John goes to the Civil War. He fights in it. He comes back. He clearly has some kind of PTSD. It has changed him. He's violent. He's not working. He is beating Margaret. So she then has to manage the farm. And neighbors are saying that she is like having affairs, which if she is, sounds like she's having a hard time. So, you know, (laughs) but it's it's the 1860s and 70s. So in 1879. So this is way later, right? Because the Civil War ends 1865. So like 15 years later, almost. John is dead and he has a bullet in the back of his head. So this is the whole murder on the mountain part. Margaret has a farmhand who is a Dutch immigrant named Frank Lamons. They are accused of the crime. They go to, um, this is the gallows, which is, so Margaret is the last woman to be executed by the state of New Jersey, which is kind of amazing if that happened in the 18, like probably the 1880s. Then. Mm-hmm. Anyway. So the book is talking about larger trends in America at the time, but also sort of, so it takes this smaller case that not that many people have heard of. And in that context, it talks about capital punishment, mental health, um, anti-immigrant sentiment at the time, domestic violence. And uh, this is published by Rutgers University Press and has a very good blurb by the author of The Trial of Lizzie Borden, Kara Robertson. And that book is really good. (laughs) So um, I was impressed by 
them getting her to to comment on it. So if you are interested in America in the late 19th century, but more particularly a true crime involving, you know, like this woman and her now deceased husband, well, they're all deceased now, then, and just sort of like, again, these like greater issues that it brings up um, at the time and what it says about America, and more particularly New Jersey, then I uh, would check this out. It is Murder on the Mountain, Crime, Passion, and Punishment in Gilded Age, New Jersey by Peter J. Walsh and Patricia L. Shaw. That sounds excellent. Yeah. Yeah. I like that title too, Murder on the Mountain. Like, Oh yeah, it's real good. <laughs> it's very evocative. It's a good one. All right. Um, so my next book is one that I have not had a chance to read at all. I just, it sounds really uh, fun and interesting to me. So um, it's called The Last Baron, The Paris Kidnapping That Brought Down an Empire by Tom Sankton, which comes out April 5th from Dutton. And so this is a story about the, quote, notorious 1978 kidnapping of Baron Edouard Jean Waldo Empan. And it is connected to the story of his famous grandfather, the first baron and builder of the Paris Metro. So it is a, a dual story about these two men. So uh, it is about so the in the 1880s, the first the uh, family's industrial empire spread from Belgium and France and out into a dozen different countries. When uh, Wado, the man who's eventually kidnapped, uh, took over, he expanded the company. He became a big player in the nuclear sector, and by the 1970s, was an extremely powerful business leader in France. Uh, he described himself as as the master of the universe. Uh, and so there were also, this is a time when, when there were like many high profile kidnappings, like the kidnapping of Patty Hearst. And so uh, Watto's rise to power caught the eye of a small time gangster who um, grew up uh, in a wealthy family and then be- went into crime as uh, people sometimes do. And so in 1978, they um, kidnapped the Baron off the Paris streets, thinking that they would get like more than 80 million francs that they wanted as ransom. They chopped off his little finger and warned that more body parts would follow. Ooh. But then uh, nothing uh, nothing went on as they expected. Like the company, they weren't sure if it would pay. They weren't sure if the family could even afford it. Uh, did they even like really care? Could the police track down the kidnappers? And so it was over two months they tried to find him until there was a, a big showdown between the kidnappers and the police. So... I don't know. Something about that just sounds really fascinating to me. I just, you know, it's like a good adventure kind of story. And historical true crime is always a little bit easier than like contemporary true crime because like everyone's gone and all that. And it just sounded really, really kind of fun and interesting. So The Last Baron, The Paris Kidnapping That Brought Down an Empire by Tom Sankton. Oh, my gosh. Just a lot of stuff. Layers upon layers. Layers of stuff. So much (laughs) stuff. Just like all in one book. I love that. Oh, my goodness. All right. Uh, My next pick is How to Sell a Poison, The Rise, Fall, and Toxic Return of DDT by Elena Konis. Okay, so I'm going to try to say this. DDT is dichlorodiphenyl trichloroethane. That sounds scientific. It's very sciencey. Yeah. Uh, so this was first developed as the first of um, a group of modern synthetic insecticides in the 1940s, which was in order to combat malaria, typhus, and other insect-borne human diseases among military and civilian populations, right? So uh, people were like, wow, this is amazing. <laughs> it's able to wipe out these insects. And, you know, allied forces are able to fight without worry about these diseases in various theaters. And so they started spraying it on everything. So this was uh, crops, livestock, cupboards, and curtains, which is just horrifying now. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
But then, uh, partially because of things like Rachel Carson's Silent Spring, which was published in 1962 that talked about worries associated with DDT, it was banned in 1972 in the United States. But recently, (laughs) people have started wanting its return. So Elena Konis is a historian. She looks at the origins of DDT, where it was used, why particular companies want to bring it back, why they then promote a quote science denialism in order to, you know, just make more money. And I just thought this was really fascinating. I grew up knowing that DDT was bad, Mm -hmm. but I did not know that People were trying to bring it back. <laughs> That's a, a bold move. So, uh, again, that is How to Sell a Poison, The Rise, Fall, and Toxic Return of DDT by Elena Konis. That's a really great pick. I have, I have two additional comments to make. The cover is stellar. Uh, it is a it is a really good book cover. Mm-hmm. And then part of the notes you included, it talks about how uh, the book is also about, like, how we need new ways of communicating about science um, because there's, like, so much science misinformation out in the world. And I think that's a really important thing to be talking about. So I think that that's cool that that's also part of this book and this story to kind of give it some, like, more contemporary uh, implications, I guess. I don't know. Oh, yeah. Oh, wait, I did not comment. Speaking of covers, uh, the book Slaves for Peanuts by Jory Lewis. The cover is so good. It's very pretty. Just uh, just as a side note, everyone should Google image search that. <laughs> Love a good, love a good book cover. <laughs> All right, so my last pick is another one I haven't had a chance to read yet, but I, it looks really lovely and it does have a beautiful book cover. Uh, it's called K Bar: An Immigrant Journey of Food, Memory, and Family by Madhushri Ghosh. Uh, it comes out March 29th from University of Iowa Press. Uh, and so this is a, it's a food memoir and a personal narrative that connects South Asian food and immigration, migration, and indenture. So um, it is. A book kind of all about different pieces of South Asian food. Um, there's stories about chefs. There's stories about home cooks. There's stories about like food stall owners and uses kind of their stories to look at what it means to belong and quote, what does belonging in a new place look like in the foods carried over from the old country? And so that is connected to the author's own immigrant journey to the United States as the daughter of Indian refugees. And um, she's also a woman of color in science. And so she kind of ties all of those things in together. And I haven't had a chance to read this one at all, but it just, the cover looks beautiful. Like uh, the stuff I've seen about it online makes it sound really really fascinating and interesting. So I wanted to make sure to highlight it real quickly. Uh, so it's K-Bar, An Immigrant Journey of Food, Memory, and Family by Madhushri Ghosh uh, from University of Iowa Press. Oh, that sounds really good. There's so many good books out right now. <laughs> yeah. April, the first couple of weeks is just, I had a huge list of books that I was like, boy, these all look really interesting. And I just like, do not have enough time to read all of them? And that is a bummer. Yeah. Also, if you're, you know, really focused on books about a certain president, then that might also put a... <laughs> in the works. Okay. Uh, let's talk about our second sponsor. It is Into the Forest from National Geographic Books. Love a book about trees. So this beautiful National Geographic book pairs incredible photography and the science of trees to show us the amazing ways that trees influence the planet. The book goes into how trees impact our lives every day and further in depth with fascinating science like their impact on the weather cycle, among other things. Learn about the world's most remarkable trees with Into the Forest. Science, nature, and photography enthusiasts are sure to love this stunning book. You can discover stories like how an astronaut 
carried tree seeds to the moon and back. That's so nice. And then essays about the world's most interesting trees. The foreword is by Suzanne Simard, a professor of forest ecology. And the sections are a tree, earth, water, air, fire, and forest. And the way that these impact trees in unexpected ways. I, I just love it. Um, that is, again, Into the Forest from National Geographic Books. Thank you for sponsoring. Yeah, I looked this one up before the show, and it has a very beautiful cover that's just, it's so calming, because it's just a beautiful picture of a forest of trees. And you're just like, oh, yes, beautiful. I love trees. (laughs) Love trees. We should do a whole episode (laughs) on trees. (laughs) I'm not against it. (laughs) All right. Put it down on the list. Our theme this week, uh, we decided we would like to talk about not a specific topic, but a specific type of nonfiction book. And so that is uh, young adult adaptations of adult nonfiction books, which it feels to me like there's been a lot more of those in the last few years. Like constantly, it feels like you're seeing like this is a YA adaptation of this very popular adult book, which I think is really cool Mm -hmm. because I think, you know, like a ton of work goes into a book. And so being able to tweak it in such a way that like makes it more appealing for younger readers, I think is really cool. I don't know if you have any thoughts about that trend generally or just we'll hop in. I mean, just based on, again, personal observation, I think it's correct that we've been seeing more of them. And I just – we've talked about it before. I think that frequently that's maybe what you need as an adult looking into this subject. Like, you don't always need the entire really researched, like, quote-unquote adult book. Sometimes you need this, like, more pared-down version to give you – because you're just – you're busy. you got other books to read. Um, But it gives you the essential story and some really interesting facts about stuff. And it's still, like, decently long. Um, Mm -hmm. It's just, yeah, pared down. Yeah. So we're going to talk about some of these adaptations and thoughts on them. So uh, the first one I uh, have on my list is Quiet Power, The Secret Strengths of Introverted Kids by Susan Cain, uh, which is written for uh, the the book says it's written for ages 10 to 15. It feels to me like maybe it's a little bit older than that, but not because of like the subject matter, just the wording and it feels a little older to me, but that's totally just a off-the-cuff opinion. I do not have children, and I have no experience with reading levels. But anyway, um, Susan Cain uh, is the author of Quiet, The Power of Introverts in a World That Can't Stop Talking, which is an amazing book, especially if you're an introvert, for you to sort of read it. For me, I read it, and I was like, oh, yes, thank you for finally like articulating to me what I have never really been able to explain about what introversion actually means and how introverts exist in the world differently than extroverts. It's just, it's so good. And so this book, The Quiet, originally, that focused on introverts in the workplace. And so this book is for kids and teens, and it focuses on stuff in a kid's world. So school, um, after-school activities, families, friendships, and stuff, and how child introverts can exist in those different spaces and what they might need to do. And so she has like adjusted all of the interviews so that the stories and examples she's using are all kid examples talking about their experiences at school and with their families rather than like adults talking about their work. She shares uh, some of her own story as a a young introvert and like what she learned as a kid. Um, And then every chapter at the end has some like tips and sort of like high level, like if you're an introverted kid, here are some ideas about how you can succeed better in the classroom. And so it gives tips about like, if you're nervous about speaking up in class, because class participation is often a thing you're asked to do, like figure out a strategy for how you're going to participate. Like maybe it is better for you to like raise your hand right away and get it over with, or maybe you need some time to like ease into it. And so always try to, so she just gives lots of really practical and like 
sensitive tips for kids about how to navigate these different situations. And then there's also some really cool um, like comics uh, within the book. So just like kind of jokey stuff about like introverts at school and things like that, that I think are really charming. So I like this one a lot. I I already read Quiet, but I kind of want to read this one too, just as a like a gentle like reminder about all of that kind of introversion stuff. But also I think if you have an introverted kid, it is very very down to earth. And I think that the tips are like useful as a way of maybe like starting as talking points to be like, hey, you're having trouble in school with participation. Like, what can we do to help like make this better? And this book, I think, would maybe help with some of those conversations too, because um, it is very straightforward and um, just very practical, I think. So Quiet Power, The Secret Strengths of Introverted Kids by Susan Kane. That's really interesting. I remember when this came out and mm-hmm. At the time, I was definitely labeling myself an extrovert because I'm very chatty. Um, And then people started defining it, you know, with that whole, like, how do you recharge? Mm -hmm. But I I think it's interesting. Do you think that Kane more focuses on introvert as, like, being quiet or with the whole, like, this is, like, you gain, like, you recharge by being by yourself or around other people? No, she talks about it as recharging by being by yourself versus being with other people. But one thing she talks about in the beginning is how introversion and, and being shy, particularly in kids, can be they can feel really, really connected. Um, and that like the sort of extroverted introvert isn't a thing that happens as much until you're an adult. And so she's talking about shyness and introversion, I think, more connected in this book than maybe she did in the adult version, if that makes sense. Oh, yeah. No, that's really interesting. And a good distinction between the versions. Mm-hmm. Uh, I am talking about Hidden Figures, the Young Readers Edition. So this is mainly for ages 9 to 12. And if you look at the cover, you can tell it's kind of more of a middle grade cover. There's definitely like photos and stuff, which I think every book should have photos. Yes. Very on board with Gaston in that respect. But which, by the way, side note, you know how Gaston is flipping through Belle's book and he's like, how can you read this if there's no pictures? But she's showing the book with pictures to the sheep in the scene (laughs) right before. (laughs) Okay, anyway. He's just too dumb to even identify pictures. Oh, that's a a good explanation. Okay, sorry about Hidden Figures, Young Readers. So this is by Margot Lee Shetterly. And the adult version is um, pretty intense, got a lot of facts. And so this version, it more closely follows the actual sort of movie version of Hidden Figures. Mm. And it definitely, you know, cuts out a fair amount. It makes so there's a lot of complex subjects. Obviously, they're talking about the space thing. (laughs) (laughs) My dad is literally an aerospace engineer. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Anyway, so they're talking about that. And so in order to make that more comprehensive to middle school and 12 is like seventh grade yeah but you know i could see it going into like early high school readers so they um it's not really as much of a narrative though it's kind of like here's a story and here's a story and here's a story so if you're looking for you know like if your kid is very or you again if you want to read like a younger version of it you're looking for like a smooth narrative this isn't necessarily it but it is going to be just like a a winnowed down version of this very fascinating story about these black women mathematicians at NASA who (laughs) had to figure out they were being like human computers uh, and figuring out space trajectories. Like, that's amazing. 
Um, it talks about, specifically in the actual book, the stories of Dorothy Vaughn, Mary Jackson, Katherine Johnson, whose autobiography came out recently, and Christine Darden, living through the civil rights era, the space race, the Cold War, and just their their work changed the nation. And it's just an amazing story. Also, it makes me want to watch the movie again. So again, that is Hidden Figures, Young Readers by Margot Lee Shetterly. Yeah, that sounds interesting because, like, if I remember Hidden Figures, the book correctly, like, there's a lot in there about, like, life outside of NASA and sort of the, like, community around um, the the Space Center or, the, yeah, I think Johnson Space Center and their lives in addition to kind of their work at NASA. And so I can see maybe if you pulled that out and really just focused on the science part that that would make it a little bit more accessible for younger readers who are, like, more interested in, like, the sciencey part rather than the social part. Mm-hmm. Excellent. My second pick is uh, Just Mercy, A True Story of the Fight for Justice by Brian Stevenson, the Young Readers Edition, uh, which is also targeted for ages 12 and up, which I think makes sense given particularly the topic, which is uh, prisoners on death row, which is a complicated topic for, I think, younger readers maybe to to grapple with. Just Mercy is the story of Brian Stevenson. It's his memoir about his time working uh, as an advocate, particularly for uh, death row inmates in the U.S. South. He also worked um, on a lot of other civil rights-related cases through his um, organization, the Equal Justice Initiative. He is a person who has spent his entire career trying to protect quote, the basic human rights for the most vulnerable people in America's society. And so this version... um, tells the story of Walter McMillan is kind of the main um, the main main arc of his memoir too is a man who's wrongfully convicted and is on death row and that he uh, is trying to help get off of death row. Um, so this book does have that story and it has a lot of the other um, inmate stories that he wrote about, the ones where he was successful in helping them come off of death row and the ones where he was not. But it just kind of um, just kind of kind of smooths things out a little bit more, I think than the the memoir does a little bit. The write, the writing is still really, really good. Um, you know, I, I, as I was reading it, I was trying to think like, how is this really different from the adult version? Because there wasn't anything that was super sticking out to me that felt like it was a, a, a huge departure from that book. And so I think maybe it's just that it's kind of tightened the story down a little bit. And so he's really focusing on less about, I think, maybe some of his own experiences and more on the experiences of the people that he's working with. And it also feels like it does a better job or a a different job of providing context around institutional racism and police brutality and unequal justice systems. Like he's, they're doing a lot of work in the book to really make sure that those concepts are explained at at a level that is um, appropriate for younger readers. So I appreciate that they've like done a, it feels like they've done a really good job at trying to to right size that kind those explanations in a way that makes sense for kids. So the memoir is a really beautiful book. I think this is a really good adaptation from what I can tell. So uh, Just Mercy, A True Story of the Fight for Justice by Brian Stevenson. Did you see that movie? I did, yes. Did you like it? I did, yes. It's, you know, every movie, I was thinking about this with Hidden Figures too. Like I liked Hidden Figures, but I felt like it, it just like, it smooths things down a little bit, you know, mm. and it, and I felt that's how I felt a little bit with Just Mercy too. Is it like smooth things out a little bit? But also, it's really like every actor in that movie was really amazing. And I, you know, it's a, a moving story. And um, so, yeah, I liked it. Yeah, it's been on HBO, and I keep meaning to watch it. You should. It's good. 
Amazing. Um, my last pick is Notes from a Young Black Chef, a memoir by Kwame Onwachi with Joshua David Stein. Um, the, again, if you just sort of append young readers, because it's always like mm-hmm. adapted for young adults, um, that's how you find that the also difference is in the adult version, there's a photograph of Kwame on the cover. And in the young readers version, there is a very fun illustration of him. So what this is about, which I just like, I'm so impressed by people who can cook because I absolutely cannot. Kwame Onwachi is a chef. He's a former Top Chef contestant who grew up in the Bronx with his mother and his Nigerian father, who was mostly absent. When he was a teenager, he started dealing drugs, so he was sent to Nigeria to live with his grandfather. And when he came back, his mom had moved to Baton Rouge, so he went from Bronx to Nigeria to Baton Rouge, Louisiana, where he learned. So he learned how to cook with his mom in the Bronx. Then he gets a job at a barbecue restaurant in Baton Rouge and took a job as a cook on an oil spill response ship in the Gulf of Mexico. And then he moved back to New York City, where he was hired at this very fancy restaurant. And he finally, in 2016, he opened his restaurant Shaw Bijou in Washington, D.C. And it's just like, that's, it's just so many places, you know? Mm-hmm. And, like, I think his story is so fascinating because then you also get all of these different influences on your food and the way you make it and, like, the stuff. Mm, it's so neat. So, uh, again, this is a pared-down version <laughs> of his story, but what a great story. So that is Notes from a Young Black Chef, a memoir by Kwame Onwachi with Joshua David Stein. Yeah, I think that's a really good book to have a young adult or like a young reader's adaptation because his story is really inspiring. Like he went through some really difficult stuff, but he – I don't want to say pull yourself up by your bootstraps because I think that's a stupid thing to say. But he (laughs) like – he worked really hard and he made a lot of sacrifices. But also like he had a lot of people in his corner and he doesn't – at least – from what I remember of his adult memoir, like doesn't doesn't really sugarcoat anything. Like he's pretty honest about the stuff where places where he messed up and the places mm-hmm. where he could have done better and the places where he wasn't supported. And so I think that that like it's it's inspiring to hear that story with all of that context. And I can imagine it would be inspiring for like younger people too to see someone succeeding after coming out of uh, a challenging start, I guess. Yeah, and like in a challenging middle, and like <laughs> yeah, yeah, very true. Yeah, just a lot of a lot of stuff. So yeah, super cool. So we'd love to hear. I think other people who have favorite young adult adaptations of adult nonfiction, or if there's an adult book you wish was adapted to it for young adults. Um, but it's it's a cool trend, and I'm glad it's I'm glad it's happening. Mm-hmm. It's fun to see. All right. Uh, so with that, we will wrap up as we normally do by talking about the books we're reading uh, right now. So I'm actually not reading this book quite yet. It's waiting for me at a bookstore to pick up so that I can read it this weekend. Uh, Ancestor Trouble, A Reckoning and a Reconciliation by Maud Newton, which I think I talked about on our like books to preview episode. And it's a memoir about a woman investigating her complicated and strange family. And it just, from the description, I don't have it pulled up right now, but there's just a ton of different stuff in her family history that she's kind of grappling with. And so I'm, I don't know, it just looks fascinating and the cover's really fun and I'm excited about it. Yeah. And that's like, I talked about it on the True Story newsletter this week or last week. I don't remember when it came out, but it's very sort of like, you know, how much are you deter like is your life and like your like how much are you determined by your ancestors mm-hmm. and what they've done and but also just like looking at yeah, her like fascinating ancestral past, but a lot of it is also kind of like bad. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. oh my goodness. I let me know how that is. I'm very interested because it looks really good. Okay. I am reading yet another Abraham Lincoln book. <laughs> 
again on audio. I got it from the library. It is House of Abraham by Stephen Berry, which is very focused on Abraham Lincoln's relationship with the Todd family. Mary Todd, his wife, is from Kentucky. And so her family was extremely split. So she had a lot of brothers and sisters. And some of her brothers went to fight for the Confederacy. Some of them were um, staying in the Union because Kentucky was a border state. And it's just, it's kind of, the author is very like, they are a microcosm of, you know, the, the, the splits that happened in families. Mm-hmm. And obviously, there's this greater thing because they are connected to the president <laughs> who is fighting the uh, Confederacy. So I, I'm really interested so far. I, I've been trying to do extra research into all the authors who write these Lincoln books because I... I don't know. I feel like a lot of them, I I don't know about their motives and (laughs) what Uh their main point might be. And as we talked about, you can spin facts in a bunch of ways. But at least from, I just started it today. And from like the intro and the first chapter, um, it seems really interesting. So looking forward to, I'm sure everyone's just on tenterhooks. (laughs) See how this turns out. Um, And in conclusion, you can find us on social media. I am at It's Alice Time and Kim is at Kim the Dork. Our amazing audio editing for this episode was done by Jen Zink. If you have a few minutes, we would love it if you would take the time to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. That helps people find us more easily. And while you're there, you can follow us so you get new episodes the very minute they come out. With that, I am Kim Ugra. And I'm Alice Burton. And we thank you for listening to this week's episode of The Four Real Podcast.